0: Marriage Fellowship. It's such a a blessing to be with you here uh, this evening. I'm always blessed as I get a chance to to share God's Word, but as I always say, when you study for a, a study, you really get blessed yourself, and you learn so much, and that's again the case this evening. The overarching theme, you know, for this year's Marriage Fellowship has been rebuilding the biblical foundation and I think it's really appropriate, you know, given the state of marriages today, and I'm sure a lot of you are aware, and through the studies, Larry and others have really been bringing up the importance of marriage and how it's under attack. You know, I looked at some statistics about marriage, and recent studies indicate that the divorce rate has really risen. You know, looking at different studies, many of them say it's almost up to 40% in some studies, and but most of them agree that it's Right around twenty five percent or one in every four marriages will end in divorce. What's more alarming though about these statistics, when you look at Christian marriages, Christian marriages, the recent studies on Christian marriages say that it's almost increased to the same level as in the world or in some cases surpassed it. So really what is that saying about us, you know, in terms of our churches and our and you know, our fellowship and our, our marriages? What I also found really interesting that even as it relates to Christian marriages, when you look at the studies and look at what strengthens a Christian marriage, it really showed that couples couples are less likely to divorce when God is, what, at the center of their marriage and family, and they participate in the regular study of God's word as it relates to marriages and having a healthy marriage relationship. So to me, it seems like we're in the right place. (laughs) We're in the right place here as we partake and as we all look at God's word. So the topic for tonight's message is, or study is, marriage is honorable. And you always start out like when you wanna define a word and you look at a word. And when you say marriage is honorable, what does that mean? So what does it mean to be honorable? Well, when you look in the Webster's Dictionary definition of honorable, It says that it's actions that are worthy of respect. Actions that are worthy of respect. In the Bible, the the root word for honor or honorable means to revere or to worship, to hold in high regard, hold in high regard. And I know for many of us, if you're like me, and someone tells me they've been married, like my parents, more than 65 years, 68 years, I hold them in high regard. I really honored them when I heard that. But it's like anyone. When you hear people who have been married a long time, I think you hold them in high regard. But why is marriage held in high regard? Why is it honorable? Well, I think we need to go back and look at the real origins of marriage. Where did marriage begin? How did marriage begin? And I think all we need to do is go look at the book of Genesis. You don't have to turn to it, but just in the book of Genesis, right away when God created the world. And you look in Genesis, we read in chapter 2, verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. As he goes on later into the chapter of chapter 2, in verse 24, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and he shall become one flesh. As God ordained the joining of a man and a woman together, we see marriage as the really foundation for a Christian home. Marriage and family was really hardly regarded as evidenced by early Jewish teachings. When you look at the early Jewish teachings in the culture, the Jewish rabbis regarded (coughs) marriage as a duty and to have children as another duty. That if you didn't, it was almost considered a sin. It was almost considered a sin. And they really use this verse in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, when it says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So they use this verse as the basis for really making it important for those of the Jewish faith. You know, in the New Testament, as we look at the New Testament, Jesus reaffirmed really God's design for marriage as he was answering the Pharisees when they asked him regarding the divorce. And remember, the Pharisees asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And you remember Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. And he said, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So we see early on as a real basis for marriage and God's design for a man and woman to be together. As this is background, let's look a little further into the Apostle Paul, the New Testament, as he taught on marriage. And Larry and Carmel did an excellent job last month, in beginning in chapter 7, and we're going to look at that again. But I'd like to start with one verse in the book of Hebrews that really clearly articulates God's view of marriage. And it's in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. I don't think you can find a better verse when your topic is marriage is honorable, when verse 4 says... <clears throat> Marriage is honorable. (laughs) So there you go. Okay, I'm not that smart, but (laughs) I think that's a good place to start. Just a little background in the book of Hebrews. You know, the author of Hebrews is unknown. Many people think it was the Apostle Paul, but it was a book written to Jewish Christians who were really concerned with keeping the law or keeping their Jewish faith, even though they become Christians. They think, was it necessary to keep observing all the Jewish traditions? And the writer of Hebrews emphasizes the superiority of knowing Christ over the Judaic system. There's more to be gained in Christ than to be lost in Judaism. The benefits are enormous. Stronger faith, self-discipline, and love shown through good works. And that's what we're going to talk about this evening, good works, marriage being one of them. In chapter 13, the author begins here to elaborate on the good works and what should characterize us as Christians. And let me just re-emphasize this. Characterize us as Christians. It's love. It's love for each other. It's love for our spouses. It's love for our brothers and sisters. That's what characterizes us as Christians. So in Hebrews, he begins, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. It's really encouraging us to have that brotherly love and not to forget those that, you know, maybe that are in need and also those that have maybe been prisoners or had difficulty. But I want to come to verse 4 here because this is the main crux of the message this evening. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. I really like the New Living Translation of this verse. The New Living Translation says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. I think that's pretty clear and straightforward in the New Living Translation. You know, this verse, the writer is really exhorting believers to honor marriage and remain faithful and what? If we don't, there'll be consequences for not honoring that marriage and being faithful. But how do we honor it? How do we be faithful? Well, one way, and this is where the second part of the verse comes to, and he says, and the bed undefiled, and the bed undefiled, it really refers to the sexual relationship within a marriage. Now, many commentators, when you read things about marriage, Many of the commentators refer to a term called asceticism. Asceticism, and that word asceticism really comes from the Greek word "askeo," or to exercise or to train. The practice of the denial of physical or psychological desires in order to attain a spiritual ideal or goal. Many of these verses, many of these ter- teachings were to what address this belief of asceticism, because. What do we know? Many religions, many beliefs, believe that what? You shouldn't be married. If you're really devoted to God, that'll be your only focus. But that's not what God said in his word. And that's what we're going to focus on this evening. You know, Larry and Carmel said a really good thing last month when they were teaching. He said, you got to look at the whole Bible when you want to look at marriage. Not just one particular section or one, but the New Testament, the Old Testament, the different teachings. And throughout the Bible, and I'm just going to highlight some of those verses um, this evening. You look in Proverbs 18:22, and it says, "He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord." And Genesis 1:28, as I said, then God blessed them, and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply." So, as we go back and look at this verse, and we said the keep the marriage bed or the bed undefiled, it really. Emphasize that we need to be what? With our spouses faithful. With our spouses faithful. And men and women, you know, again, I, I'm sorry I keep referring to uh, Larry and Connell's study last month, but I was so just touched by how they dealt with this such a t- touchy subject when it comes to, you know, sexual relations. But, you know, sexual relations are an important facet of marriage. And for a man and woman to enjoy, really, in the confines of the marriage, you know, as a couple, you know, it's really unfortunate in today's society, and this has been shared a lot, and we know this, it's really not honored as it should be. It's really not honored as it should be. And, you know, and sex has been perverted and used to entice and promote immoral behavior. You know, there are many examples. Of, if you look at society today, you know, I could just point out a few you know, as we go through, you know, not only the high rate of divorce, but couples living together outside of marriage, married individuals practicing adultery, many marriages characterized by neglect and abuse. But here, this last one, the redefinition of marriage in contrast to God's design—just one man and one woman. So, what we see and hear from the media are, are many of these things, and they see these reflected you know, from the world and how it's changed its views in marriage and sex and, you know, really in contrast to God's original intent. But I think it's important that it's not only in conflict for what we believe, but the current cultural is against traditional marriage as God designed, as God designed. So here we are as Christians and married couples, men and women. So how do we, honor our marriages? How do we stand up for our marriages? How are we a witness, you know, to the world? Well, again, in this verse, the bed undefiled, the author is emphasizing the importance, not only of marriage, but honoring it through the expression of love through sex only with your spouse. You know, I like the way one commentator explained this verse in the purpose of sexual relations. He said, the main purpose is to bond together, a one-flesh relationship. That is what gives sex meaning. Beyond a pleasurable experience, this is what God offers in sexual expression according to his will and what the world can't offer or match. I think it's a really um, powerful statement. Again, in last month, when Larry and Carmel were sharing about First Corinthians chapter 7, they're really clear that we need to enjoy this relationship, the physical aspects within marriage. But there's also another point that I want to emphasize that they also shared. Intimacy, intimacy really binds people uniquely. It really does. And your spouse is uniquely made for you, as Carmel showed last month. It's a one person God chose for you, chose for you. Think about that. And you build that intimacy with that one person. You know, I like, again, as we're looking at the whole Bible, and there's many expressions Examples, I should say, of how God, in the Proverbs, through other books of the Bible, in Proverbs 5, chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, it says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? You know, Larry, again, last month said... You know, I would put a bookmark, he suggested for me, why don't you put a bookmark in the Song of Solomon? You know, it's a really good example of a man expressing his desire for his wife in that physical aspect. You know, I won't read it. Um, I have, you know, every time I read Song of Solomon, I kind of feel like it's Shakespearean. I think if I had a great voice, I would read this. Oh, how beautiful are your sandals. Oh, Prince Daughter. It seems like Shakespeare wrote this, or Shakespeare should be speaking this. But I will say, let me go to Song of Solomon just for a few verses in chapter 7. And I'm going to start with verse 5. Your head crowns you like Mont Carmel, and the hair of your head is like purple. A king is held captive by your tresses, how fair and how pleasant you are. Oh, love your delight, with your delights. The stature of yours is like a palm tree, and your breasts like its clusters. I said, "I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of its branches. Let now your breasts be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine." Then, lastly, in verse ten, the wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of sleepers. I am my beloved, and his desire is toward me. It's a really strong love song. And I just want to focus on this last verse for a moment. You know, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. The Shulamite woman here declares she is for him, and he is satisfied with her. He is satisfied with her. This, again, really kind of reemphasizes or confirms the uniqueness and the satisfaction between a man and a woman in marriage. Again, looking at a commentary, Warren Worsby, you know, the great Bible commentator and pastor, he said... When a husband and wife are yielded to the Lord and when they seek to please each other in the marriage relationship, the marriage will be so satisfying that neither party would think of looking elsewhere for for fulfillment. He quotes, There are no sex problems in marriage, a Christian counselor once told him. Only personality problems with sex is one of the symptoms. That really made me think for a moment. Really think about that. In the book of Ephesians... The Apostle Paul clearly establishes how a man and woman should love each other. He draws a comparison of the relationship of Christ and His Church to, how, to show how we should love, honor, and care, care for our spouses. I know this is a passage that we've read many times. We've studied it so many times. I've, in fact, for myself, memorized you know portions of this verse. And let me just share from verse twenty-five to verse thirty-three. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water, a washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, be, that she should be holy, without blemish. So husbands, ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife say that he respects her husband. I heard one pastor say, you know, every time I counsel, every time I have a couple that comes in and has a problem, I said, can you read this passage for me and tell me what it means? And right when you say, husband, love your wife as just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, what does that mean to you? Well, um, yeah. <laughs> so it always really it hits home and it really hits hard to you because you think about our relationship with the Lord and what the Lord did for us. The self-sacrifice, giving himself for us. It's the same kind of love that we should have for our spouses and we should model. You know, throughout the New Testament, you know, there's, Paul speaks about marriage and different things. And one passage in Colossians when he spoke about holiness and family life in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, wives submit to your own husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. So we are encouraged throughout Scripture and exhorted to Scripture to what? Love our wives and do not be bitter to them. And as wives, what? As is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. So going back to chapter 13, verse 4, just to finish out the verse. But it says, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You know, it's pretty simple if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and this is a verse, again, I always refer to, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty straightforward in that verse. You know, I used to argue with friends in college. You know, it was pretty, as Larry shared, you know, starting with the 60s through the 70s. It's been a pretty free love, you know, kind of environment world. And I used to talk with guys in my dorm, and you know, and you know, unfortunately it was not, you know, the model of, you know, good behavior. But I used to talk to them and, and I used to talk about fornication, adultery, having sex outside the confines or, confines or commitment to marriage is really fornication. And God speaks about that. And they just kind of like, you know, looked at me, you know, just kind of put me off. And then I said, adultery, having sex with someone other than your spouse or outside your marriage vows, And they kind of say, would say, you know, kind of pushed me off. But, you know, I used to talk about loyalty and purity you know, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to be loyal to one person? What does it mean to be pure? And it really gives you an opportunity to kind of share what God said about marriage and men and women and their relationships. But here in this verse, verse four, I think it's really clear regarding not only the physical act of fornication and adultery, but I want to emphasize also, we need to also guard our minds and our hearts as it relates to this. You know, Proverbs Chapter 6, verse 29 and verse 32, it says, So he who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her, shall not be innocent. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. His own soul, you know, what does that mean? Where are our hearts? Where are our minds? Where are we? You know, I think besides remaining faithful in our marriage and guarding our actions... We also need to be sure we're also guarding our hearts and minds. Okay? So many times when you want to prove something correct, when you say marriage is honorable, marriage is honorable. And those of you who know that I've done a lot of schooling in my life, <laughs> a lot of education and a lot of different work and wrote a lot of different things from a master's thesis to a doctoral dissertation. But one of the things you do when you want to prove something, you ask the question. And so, in this case, we say marriage is honorable. Well, the question is, why is it honorable? And then, in graduate research, you set out to prove it. Why is it honorable? Why is it honorable? But I think all we need to do is look at the word, and then we can prove why it's honorable. And I'd like to share something here that John MacArthur, you know, Grace to You Ministries, shared in a study regarding marriage. And it's six biblical reasons for getting married that start with the letter P six biblical reasons for getting married that start with a letter P. The first one is procreation, to have children. God designed it because he wanted us to reproduce. And remember, I already shared Genesis 128, when God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Number two, for our pleasure, for our pleasure. Again, we've already talked a lot about the physical pleasure of our sexual relationship with our spouses. But again, in Proverbs five eighteen, let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of you, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Number three, provision provision to provide for your wife as the weaker vessel, and to support and nourish her. In First Peter chapter three verse seven, it says, "Husbands likewise dwell with, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life." That your prayers may not be hindered. Number four, partnership—to have a helpmate, to have a friend, and not be alone. Again, in Genesis two eighteen, as I already shared, and God said, "It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, com- comparable to him." Number five, picture—to be a symbol of God's relationship to the church. As we read, remember just right a moment ago, chapter five of Ephesians. In the last verse, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We model that relationship between Christ and the church. And number six, for purity, to really avoid sexual sin, fornication. You know, First Corinthians chapter 7, as Larry and Carmel sharing last month, it says in verse 2, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So there's six reasons, six reasons why it's good to get married, why it is a good thing, but also why marriage is honorable, because if we keep within these things, then we're honoring the way God designed it for us. I think as we answer the question why marriage is honorable, you know, it's easy to answer as we look at the <clears throat> the word. But as we go on a little more, I'd like to just spend a few more minutes talking about just finishing up what Larry and Carmel began last month in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So I'm just going to turn for a few minutes and turn from talking about the foundational parts of marriage, but just talk about some practical applications. So in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, again, as Larry and Carmel said last month, Paul was speaking to the church at Corinth regarding not only the principles of married life, but he was answering some questions, Remember? He said, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, the questions that they had asked him. And these questions related to the believers in Corinth who were highly influenced by the culture around them. I mean, talk about being influenced by the culture around us. Look at the culture right now, how it's influencing this generation of young people. But at that time, that generation and the believers were really asking the question, is being unmarried, single, and celibate, more spiritual than being married? Is it more spiritual not to be married? And there's really actually some believers during this time that said they were the spiritually elite because they weren't married and they were able to be celibate and totally focused on Jesus. They really looked down on other people who were married And they began to make people that were married feel bad. He says, well, maybe I'm not committed to the Lord. Maybe I'm, you know, I should be, you know, single. But you also had to know during this time, during this era in which the church at Corinth was birthed, that many of the people believed in something called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. And that was really something that believed that anything physical was inherently evil. So whatever you did with your body was either evil or immaterial. So Paul was really seeking to address this in the context of marriage. He was trying to say, okay, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. This Gnosticism and denying yourself really, really is not appropriate within the confines of marriage. So in chapter 7, again last month, in verses 1 through 5, he highlights the physical sexual relationship as married couples. I like the key points as I reviewed the study from last month. Uh, just a couple of key points. Really giving ourselves to each other physically is something that God intended for us. And remember it says here in the first five verses do not have we do not have authority over our own bodies and man and woman. And then the importance of showing affection and sensitivity to each other, because what? Render the affection due. Render the affection due to your spouse. And then most importantly, do not let this become an issue to stumble us. So do not deprive each other except for a time prayer. So do not let this become an issue between you. So I want to go on to verses six through nine as he finishes up so to say, in terms of this whole idea, is it better to be married or is it better to be single? So Paul starts in verse 6, chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This first word in verse 6, when Paul says, but... The word but is a conjunction. It's drawing a connection with what was just said in the previous verse. And it's a continuation. Paul's speaking. He's saying a new truth, not a commandment from the Lord. And Paul did this a lot. You know, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. So Paul begins, verse 6, But I say it as a concession, not as a commandment. Verse 7, For I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in his manner and another in that. And verse 7, Paul's emphasized that everyone has a gift from God, whether that is singleness or being married. The word gift used here is the same word that is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when Pauls speaking of spiritual gifts. So it's a spiritual gift of God. And we used to have a saying, and I have to admit this to you, when we were new believers and we were going around sharing with Pastor Raw and going to different high schools. I had some friends. So they would always make a joke and say, I don't got this gift, Ray. I don't got this gift. And I'd say, hey, all right, bro. <laughs> I mean, just, all right. I understand. You don't have to say anymore." And continuing on in verse 8, this gift, and let me just share one more thing. As a, a gift... You know, this was also emphasized, emphasized by Jesus when he was speaking with the disciples and the disciples asked him a question about marriage. You know, maybe it's better not to be married. But in Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 through 12, his disciples said to him, if such the case of the man with his wife, is it better not to marry? But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So if it is a gift, then accept the gift and honor it. But if you do not have the gift, that's fine. You do not have that gift. Going on to verse 8 in chapter 7. Verse 8, <clears throat> he says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Verse 8, Paul speaking to those who are single or widows and have the gift of singleness, that it's good because you can focus your life on the work of the Lord. You know, in the book of Acts, chapter 26, verse 29, and Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become almost and altogether such as I am. John the comparison to himself, how he is able to be single, except for these chains, except for these chains. Later in this same chapter, chapter 7, Paul elaborates a little bit more, and I won't go that far this evening, but in chapter 7, verse 26, and verses 32, 33, he elaborates a little bit more about this. If, I suppose, therefore, that it's good because of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. But I want you to be without care, verses 32. I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord how I may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how I may please his wife. That was just a blanket practical statement. If you're married, you need to be concerned about the needs of your wife. You need to be concerned about your relationship. The unmarried doesn't have to do that. Let me finish with verse 9 here. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul was making a provision. If this was an area of difficulty, and burning with passion for you, then it was okay to get married. Better to get married than to struggle and give Satan an opportunity to stumble. You know, he said the same thing to Timothy, a young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14. He says, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully." So, Paul later goes on after, chapter, after verse 9 to talk about marriage vows and more principles. But I'm going to stop right here. i will stop right here. I was given verses 6 through 9. And I want to begin my summary here. My summary as I close. You know, as we honor marriages, you know, we're reminded through God's word, you know, there's really guidelines for treating us spouses and having a blessed marriage. I know um, many of us have been married for many years and we've learned a lot. We've grown a lot, but it's a constant challenge. We grow every day, we learn every day, we strengthen our relationships every day. I recently went um, to a wedding shower. and This is something personal. You know, I want to share you something personal here with you. Uh, we were invited to a wedding shower, and I was kind of surprised because they said we want the men to come also. Because usually, typically, a wedding shower, you know, the women and gifts. And this marriage is next month, and. The father of the bride invited us and said, "I want you to be prepared to give some advice to the, you know, upcoming, you know, bride to be and, and spouse. And I want to um, have them go away with learning from those of you that have been married for many years. You know, can learn from them. I thought this was kind of neat, unique, you know, something different, right? Well, I went in a little bit tentative because I looked around the room. And I thought, okay, I hope I'm not first, you know, because I kind of want to get the feel for what everybody's talking about here, you know, what what we're going to talk about. And I have to share with you a little bit of the humorous side, okay? So this is the humorous side, okay? So one of the people, you know, a man, I'm going to say it was a man right away, he started, and this is what he said He said, Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And I'm going like, What's he talking about? He said, just do it? To have such relations? What, what does he need? Just do it. So then he went on. He says, when there's something to be done, just do it. Dishes need to be washed, just do it. When the home needs to be clean, just do it. He says, when the clothes need to be washed, just do it. So I said, okay, we started out. You know, we're okay here. The next person said, when I pray at night, I asked the Lord, and these are true. I took them verbatim. When I pray, I ask the Lord, change her and then change me. The whole group started laughing. They go, you want a new wife? Change her? And, you know, they started kidding them. He goes, no, no, no. I meant, you know, God change us. To make us better. And I go, okay. You know, that's good. You know, pray God dreams. And then this one I loved. He said, and again the man says, it's all about the division of labor. When it comes to tasks or chores, I divide them up, and then she does them. (laughs) I go, what? And he goes, just kidding. He goes, when we divide them up, we do the thing. You know, there was other, you know, funny comments, you know, happy wife, happy life, happy spouse, happy house, you know, different things. But on the serious side, this is what I want to share with you. The serious side, I was really impressed, you know, my brother and sister-in-law were there, and my brother-in-law said this. Marriage is a threefold bone, a triangle with Christ in the center. As you grow closer to Christ, you grow closer to each other. Keep Christ at the center of your marriage to keep it blessed. Okay. All right, all right. Another, and this is a wife. Again, this is going to be, you know, it's a wife. The wife says, pray, 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 pray. Pray for your marriage every day that God will bless it. Okay. Very good. That's uh, my God. Another, person said, love your in-laws and treat them well, because you won't regret it. (laughs) I said, okay, that's some sound advice. But I know all of you are wondering, what did you say, Ray? (laughs) And I said, I want to tell you right now, I didn't do very good. But if I had it over to do again, this is what I would have said. I would have said, communication is really important. I think it's important to make it a priority to communicate with your spouse every day. You know, I've read a lot of different books about marriage, communication, H. Norman Wright, Communication, Key to Your Marriage, um, Gary Chapman, The Five Languages of Love. And, you know, I'll just share this a little bit. You know, Gary Chapman, The Five Languages of Love, he says, there are five different ways we speak and understand emotional love. And these are real tangible things, and I think these are good things that, you know, I would keep... You know, always on hand. Number one, use words of affirmation, using positive words to affirm the one that you love. Always say something positive. Always affirm your love by saying something positive. Number two, gifts. Giving thoughtful gifts to show you are thinking of someone other than yourself. Doesn't have to be a lot, but something that is important to your spouse, giving them something. Number three, acts of service. Doing something that you know the other person would like. Doing something without being asked. Just doing it. Just doing it for them. Number four, quality time. Giving your spouse your undivided attention. Setting aside that time. There's just the two of you. Whether it's just a conversation or just a drive, whatever it may be. Give yourself some undivided attention. And number five, physical touch holding hands, kissing, embracing, or any other affirming touch. I love the way Carmel's defined rendering affection. What does affection mean? Unfortunately for men, affection means something that leads to something else. But for a woman, it doesn't mean that. It means really rendering affection. So, as I close, again, 1 Corinthians chapter sixteen, fourteen says, let all that, let all that you do be done with love. You know, there was a story in the news recently around July 4th of a couple who had celebrated 75 years of marriage. You know, it was a great news article. And the news commentator, I knew this was going to happen, they had to ask, so what's the secret to your marriage? What's the secret to your marriage? And the other couple says, don't go to bed angry. And it was really simple. They said, don't go to bed angry. And I think that really spoke to forgiveness, forgiving each other and being in one accord. You know, if there's something that needs to be addressed and forgiven, do you really take the initiative? And husbands, as leaders, take the initiative. Because what does it say in Colossians 3.13? Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you all also must do. So we must also do. I'll finish with this story. You know, about 20 years ago here at Calvary, 20-some years ago, we had a, one of the marriage fellowships was a Valentine's dinner. And we had it at a location. I can't remember the name of the location, but I remember it really clearly. And as we went to the Valentine's dinner, and we got there and we got into the, the venue, the uh, person that was leading the marriage fellowship at that time said, welcome everybody and you know, thank you for coming. And he says, before we even get started today, before we even get started, I want all you husbands to turn to your wife and say, You're sorry. And I was kinda of like what? And he says, Yeah, I want you to turn your wife and just say, I'm sorry. Well, my initial reaction I had to tell you said, so, wait a minute, I just got here, I haven't done anything. <laughs> How do I say sorry? <laughs> but I think his point was that we need to humble ourselves and really be those leaders. You know, I began This study stating, you know, the overarching theme for this is marriage fellowship, rebuilding the biblical foundation. You know, as we all reflect about what it means to build a strong foundation, you know, we're reminded that we need to really first have a strong foundation in the Lord first and foremost. You know, as our relationship with the Lord grows stronger each day, then it enables us to bring a strong, build a strong relationship with our spouse. You know, as couples, you know, we look to really strengthen our marriages and honor our marriages and our commitments to our spouse. But, you know, the Bible's really clear. The Bible's really clear about this. You know, just a really quick verse. You know, Ecclesiastes in chapter 4. It's really a great verse. It's used a lot of time in marriage ceremonies. Two are better than one. Two are better than one because in verse 12 it says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him and a threefold court is not quickly broken. A 3 vocal cord is not quickly broken. I hope that God, God ministers tonight. I hope God ministers to all of us. Just like you, growing each day learning each day and, you know, just loving my wife and trying to be the person that God wants me to be. And I pray that for you this evening too. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this evening, Lord, and just thank you for, again, your word, Lord thank you for sharing the wisdom that Paul had, Lord, as relates to marriage. And I pray, Lord, that we as couples might honor our marriage, Lord, and that we might just keep our spouses as loved ones as you loved us, Lord, and give yourself for us, that we give ourselves to each other. Lord, I just thank you for the couples here, Lord, and I pray again, Lord, that you be with us each and every day, Lord. We know that it's each day that we need to come to your feet. ask your forgiveness, Lord, and that we might be just humble in the same way with our marriages and with our spouses, Lord. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for this evening, Lord. We thank you for the mail we're about to receive. We thank those that have prepared and have really assisted and done everything here this evening, Lord. And we ask again, Lord, that you continue to guide and strengthen us as we continue to grow in love, not only with our spouses, but with each other lifting you up we give you all the glory and praise and honor this morning, this evening Lord in Jesus name we all said amen well just a couple of quick announcements um, most importantly you Larry and Carmel and others will be up here in front if you need prayer and we all need prayer and every day and if you need prayer and you as a couple would like to come up front I'll be happy uh, to pray for you and just lift up your needs. The next marriage fellowship will be taking place August 26. The topic is The Great Mystery of Marriage Revealed, looking at Ephesians chapter 5, the section we just looked at. Tomorrow, again, our Sunday morning service, Pastor Joe in the book of Ephesians. And tomorrow night, uh, night of prayer, night of prayer, really important. Remember, the one wife said, pray, 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 pray every day. (laughs) I think that's really important. So I know we're going to be partaking of a meal here shortly, and I know people have prepared it, and thank you for that. But we're going to have one more song, and then we'll be dismissed to go ahead and get ready for that meal. So just a blessing, a blessing to be with you this evening. And as I said, I learn, I grow, and I just love uh, getting a chance to share with you. Amen? God bless you.